started. You ready, Ken? We've been doing a little series called Taking Him to the Streets. I forget how many weeks this is. We're probably around the fourth or fifth week. And uh, we are going to try to finish it today. If you flip over your outline, we're going to try to cover point six and seven. We've been looking at seven critical concepts that all Grace Christian Fellowship outreaches uh, try to integrate. We, in other words, we want to have all seven of these uh, ideas and principles be at the foundation of what we're trying to accomplish as we serve a lost world around us with the gospel, etc. So last week we looked at Paul's modus operandi. So point six is called pole fishing versus net fishing. Now, um, you know, that's just a metaphor or analogy, but if you remember, Jesus said, well, our first point is that Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So it follows by the law of reading the reverse negative that if you're not becoming a fisher of men, then you're not following Jesus. So you've actually made up a Jesus of your own imagination or your own priorities. I've had some very interesting talks with uh, wonderful saints uh, lately that basically said, you know, all my life I uh, did discipling and so forth, but I was always uh, ministering to people who were already in the church, whose parents were already Christians, who, uh, and so forth. The truth of the matter is we don't go there for very much. In fact, most evangelistic strategies are invite them to us and hope the professional people get them saved. Now, I honestly believe that inviting them to us is a critical part because John 3, unless you're born out of water and out of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And people come to Christ in a spirit and atmosphere of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that becomes one of the most important aspects of any church is to make sure in, in our worship in our prayer life, in our homes, the Spirit of God is dwelling deeply. However, the professional people, so to speak, uh, whether they get paid or not, uh, are really supposed to equip the saints for the work of service so that they can do the ministry of the gospel. And um, the idea that I don't, I have a friend that I'd like to see to come to Christ but I don't have any idea how to bring him through the things we're going to talk about today, like the first five steps of entering the kingdom of God or, or something like that. We've really got to change that idea if we're going to become who God wants us to be. Because God does not want you to just have your, your, your main role in ministry to be a, invite people to your church and hope that other people do get them. <laughs> does that make sense? So... God wants you to do the work, to do the study, to build the character, to embrace the crosses, to become part of a community, to serve in a team in such a way that you're part of the fishing expedition. And, uh, and that you support it on quite a few levels, you know, prayerfully, financially, by your attendance. Just, you know, in terms of leading people to Christ, just a thing called the warm body principle. You know, one of the things we did uh, when we created this little wineskin called Rock Campus Fellowship at, at uh, 
at Wright State that Jason, you know, leads most of the things with, um, is we asked six or seven people from our church to, to go there just so there'd be some population there already. Because uh, when people walk into a room, if there's three of them, people think, uh-oh, what the heck is this? And the, frankly, just attending regularly helps the fishing expert, the expedition. But God wants you to go way beyond that. He wants you to, to know gospel scriptures. He wants you to, uh, to be, learn how to become a partner with the Holy Spirit so that you can actually discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in terms of prenatal development as God, you know, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him, and the Father draws them by the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to partner with the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the process of drawing them. Does that make sense? So in terms of fishing, I guess you might say that there's two kinds of fishing. Uh, one is net fishing. And it's the idea of getting a big catch. You know, when Jesus told the disciples to put the nets down in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, a very similar uh, experience for them to what he did in Luke 5, separate experiences, but uh, in Luke 5, it records there were so many fish, they had to call to the other boats to get help. But in John 20, it specifically records there were 153 fish. <laughs> and uh, I've always wondered if that has some significance, like 51 times 3 or something. And the 51 is the day after Pentecost or something. But uh, probably not. That's probably stretching it too much. There's probably just 153 fish. But uh, uh, what's that? The, nation. <laughs> the nations. Um, so, um, uh, you know, or I guess it, you know, is symbolic for a large catch in the nations. So, um, in any case, um, in net fishing, you get a bunch of fish at once. There's a problem, though. If you get a bunch of fish at once, you got to do something with them or they're going to rot on the beach. You got to sell them, you got to distribute them among other people or so forth, and they have to be cleaned and processed. And so even in net fishing, it ultimately gets down to one-on-one -on -one or, you know, a small group of people doing the task of, of ministry. And uh, in pole fishing, one person, now he might, four or five of you might go fishing at a time, but together, I mean, it's a lot of fun and can go fishing and hang out together and go camping or whatever you want to do. But as you're, you know, one person is, is fishing one fish at a time. And my, my view is that uh, building on Paul's modus operandi, God has a team for you to fish with at a specific targeted pond. Now, uh, how many targeted ponds you have, of course, depends on the size of the community and the giftedness of the community and how much people are willing to study and, and prepare themselves to be ministers and so forth. Uh, you know, right now we have two places where we're pole fishing. You know, one is Wright Brothers uh, School and the other is uh, Wright State University. But I hope someday we'll have uh, teams that go to nursing homes. And, and uh, my, my, one of my great dreams is that someday Grace Christian Fellowship will have a, a gospel van uh, with speakers on the top and a, and a you know, loud 
uh, speaker system and with racks like a like that you might have tools in that are full of literature and CDs and booklets and and all you know little little articles that we can write and things like that and and actually just pull up the venues like uh, Eastwood Park and preach the gospel pull up to uh, wherever there's a small to large crowd and so uh, <laughs> in the ice cream truck. So, uh, but ultimately, it, you know, that's more of a, of, a, of a net fishing in a sense, but ultimately it gets down to getting someone in a relationship where you can bring them along. Now, I call a lot of what I do, what Emily's doing, uh, what Beth is doing, I call it evangelistic investigative Bible studies. But, and what I want to do is kind of go through... Uh, some principles today that you can uh, use to kind of help you understand where people are at so that you can partner with the Holy Spirit and bringing them all the way to where God wants them. I've been uh, doing a thing this week where I'm trying to read all the epistles of Paul. I fell miserably short. I read 10 out of 13, but I purposely saved the three longest ones for last. So I read 42 chapters of Paul and I have 45 chapters to go. But my I was trying to read them all so that I could then read the uh, book that John gave me for Christmas on Paul. And uh, one of the things I, he says over and over is that we teach and admonish every man and so forth so that we may present them mature or complete or perfect, depending on the translation, in Christ. The uh, Greek word has the implications of a whole number, an integer, that God wants them to be whole. The, the idea today is that most churches want to get them to pray a sinner's prayer and attend church. Uh, some churches want to go beyond that to get them baptized in the Spirit, which is, and then they call that the full gospel. But what God wants to do is redeem people from every damaged thing that has come in their life as a result of the fall of man. And the truth of the matter is the offense of the gospel, one of the difficult uh, uh, things about the soil today, you know, we're all, you, you know, Jesus compares sowing for the kingdom to the, you know, the soil in the parable of the soil in Matthew 13. But the soil of our culture, you know, C.S. Lewis addressed it in the 1950s that we're quickly becoming a country or a, or a society in Western culture that can only hear positive things. And to hear anything challenging or negative gets people on the defensive. But the offense of the gospel is you've got to realize you're totally lost, you're totally wicked, you're totally wrongly motivated, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you cannot even help yourself. Uh, it's, if you get to the point where you cry out to God for mercy, it's because God granted you to see so you could cry out to God for mercy. And uh, our life is a train wreck. And what's kind of ironic is the more someone needs to hear that, the least likely they are to be able to hear that. That's something I've uh, found very consistently. Uh, people who have the most problems are almost always the most prideful and the most defensive. You, you get that you first start to notice when you start dealing with alcoholics and drug addicts and so forth. 
because people who have a lot of insecurities and so forth cover it up with pride and arrogance. And it becomes such a deep ingrained habit that they can't, they, you know, unless they're in a totally desperate place every, all the time, they can't stay humble to see their need for God. I first noticed that back in the 90s when we started working with alcoholics. And I would think, wow, this guy is probably the most troubled, messed up person I've ever tried to work with and minister to. And he's the most know-it-all and the most judgmental of others and the most uh, unteachable. And, and what is he basing that on? He's not. He's just, it's, there's, that's just part of being lost. So, uh, you know, what God does in the gospel is, on the one hand, he has to show you the depth of your sin. So, on the other hand, he can show you the greatness of his grace. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And when you see your total need, you're ripe for God to save you. And hopefully you can avoid the Galatian problem of starting off in, in total need of God and total desperation and therefore totally at his mercy and grace. And then after he starts to clean you up a little bit, you kind of start saying, well, I got this. And uh, you start to perfect yourself by human effort or the flesh. So what we have to do is walk with God and walk with people through the process that God takes them through of conversion onto sanctification. So I want to give us some principles today. Uh, uh, when you're pole fishing, so to speak, um, that we can uh, that we can all uh, work with. The first one is actually uh, a review, pointing back to number point number four on the previous page. Most people belong before they convert. Now, in a day and age when the Ten Commandments was on the walls of every school and every public building and every courtroom, there was a culture that had a deep sense of I've erred and I sinned and I ought to have done this and I ought not to have done that. There used to be a time when people tended to convert before they belonged. But with the removal of all that from our culture, what they call postmodernism in the millennial generation, almost all people belong before they convert. We've had many people in our cult, in our church that have belonged and come for six months, a year, two or three years before they really uh, receive the gospel and convert to Christ. Um, and by the way, that is often even very religious people. You know, sometimes when you've been brought up in the church and you've been to Bible school and you know the Bible and so forth, you can actually have such a shallow view of sin that basically God got a pretty good deal when you got you and you're really a good person and you, you do need a little help from God. Uh, you, you might need a little churching up or whatever, but basically you're a pretty good person. If that's really what's in your heart, you are what they, what really theologians call pre-evangelized. And I suggest to you today, because um, there used to be an emphasis in the times of people like Wesley and Whitfield and Finney and 
and on back to the reformers and frankly the early church and so forth there used to be a much uh deeper understanding of bringing people to a full understanding of how dead they are how that they're lost in their trespasses and sins they're dead in their trespasses and sins uh i suggest to you that today many 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 i'd hate to know the percentage but i have a feeling it's quite high of people who go to church are pre-evangelized And sometimes uh, they've gone to church all their lives. So the trick is to, to, uh, to frankly, the reason we have kind of gospel-oriented things in our, in our communion, in our creeds, in our teachings, in our worship, uh, the reason we constantly keep the gospel front and center is to kind of build on that pre-evangelized, or if they're not evangelized, to begin to lay some foundations while they're belonging and they're getting a sense of belonging and developing a, a certain level of trust so that eventually they can open up. Like, you're not really born again until you come clean with God about sin and, and these kind of things, and most people haven't. And uh, most people that have gone to church all their life are deeply ingrained in, gee, if I tell them that I struggle with this, I'll be rejected for that. And people will look down on me, and they're in, so they're basically avoiding telling their testimony or the reality of where they're at because of pride. And often the church plays into that because it's not a very accepting place to tell them, you know, I'm a whatever you are. Does that make sense? So what I'm suggesting is is that it takes wisdom to build relationships, and at the right time, help them with the gospel. Okay, so then, so that's my first point. Then go back to point seven, so that I kind of made uh, that point A, so now point A is B or whatever. Let's look at some other things here. Uh, I'm going to skip around in, in these things. Um, one of them is the five vital signs of life. Now, you have a, a sheet called the 555 deal in addition to your other notes. And if you look at the uh, uh, point A under Roman numeral 2, you'll see five vital signs of life. Now, as the, as, as the church hit Greco-Roman culture, and especially since the Reformation, Western Christianity has gr gradually become more about intellectual abstractions than about powerful experiences. I again, I've been overwhelmed as I've read Paul about the mighty, the effectual, mighty working of God according to the the power of His this and so forth. How much it, it just keeps saying power and mighty working and effective working of the gospel and the kingdom and it's all about principalities and powers and and how Christ has defeated them and He has dominion and His and His powerful reign over them and all this kind of stuff. But uh, when if somebody were to say second corinthians 13 5 to most people today that have had some exposure to western christianity or go to church or think of themselves as a christian and they were to say test yourself to see if you're in the faith do you not recognize that christ is in you unless you fail the test almost everyone would think of do they have the right doctrinal statements 
So they might, and, that, and that's why, it, despite the fact that there's already the Nicene Creed and all kinds of ancient creeds, the, uh, the symbol of Chalcedon and the, what, the Synod of Orange and, and all the way through to the Protestant ones, starting with the Augsburg Confession and so forth, every church thinks it has to still have like a doctrinal statement. <laughs> you know, like our doctrinal statement is we affirm the major ideas that the church has affirmed throughout the centuries. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, there, there it is. Whoa, almost knocked over my coffee. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that biblically, it would really be more about on top of those things, do, have they led you to a place of experience and uh, attitudes and motivations and lifestyle that you can observe, like you might use the word empirical, uh, like in science, things that are empirical are, are observable, things that you could observe about whether they're in the faith. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. In other words, don't wait for the finals. Go ahead and have a couple tests in the middle of life. <laughs> so too many people are waiting to see, hoping they'll come out okay on the final instead of preparing themselves. And biblical tests go beyond, if you look at the structure of Paul's epistles, Romans 1 through 11 is the theological structure of the Christian faith. Romans 12 or 16 is how you should live it out. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is the theological structure of the Christian faith. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is how you should flesh it out. Colossians 1 and 2 is the theological structure of the Christian faith. And Colossians 3 and 4 is how you should live it out. And Colossians and Ephesians are like a, a, a really neat... Uh, Colossians and Ephesians are almost like a totally in love husband looking into the eyes of his totally in love bride who's looking back totally in love with him. I'm sure uh, some of the couples in our church do that. But uh, <laughs> from time to time, do you guys do that? Kind of looking Google at each other. Because, you know, Ephesians is about the, the uh, church of Jesus Christ. And Colossians is about the Christ of the church. And... Um, when you, you know, and they, Paul uses a lot of the same phraseologies through, through, there's probably about a hundred or so, I've never counted them up, but uh, last night I was kind of looking at how many there were and I was like going, wow. Uh, where they, he basically says the same things in both epistles, but he's focusing on the supremacy of Christ as the head of the church, not, a, not in some abstract way, but Christ is the head of the church in Colossians, and he's focusing on uh, the church as the body of Christ in Ephesians. But the same structure is, you know, there's this bones, the bones, the milk, the, the, the theological framework is at the first half of the epistle, and then the muscle and the skin is in the second half. How, because all theology must become incarnational. The word must become flesh. If it doesn't, then there's been a disconnect. You know, um, John Gray and Leah and, and Beth are nurses, but I doubt it would take their training if someone who was just bones walked through the door and, and said, how y'all doing? And there was no muscles and there was no skin. 
<laughs> you know, we'd all be like, what? So, you know, so it would, it, we'd be looking for how they did that and where's the wires or whatever. You know, you you got to have both or you have nothing. And that's, that is the challenge of Christianity in, in the Western culture now at this time. So you've got to kind of know that if you're going to be a partner with Christ in helping people become mature or complete in Christ. God wants them to know the Trinity and the incarnation and so forth. And God wants them to know how to be a great worker on their job by the grace of God. And God wants them to know how to manage their finances by according to the biblical wisdom of God. And God wants them to know how to be diligent and, and uh, how to be emotionally whole and relationally true and honest and responsible. And, you know, it, if it doesn't become flesh, it's nothing. So with that in mind, let's look at these five vital signs in terms of things that you can observe, whether they're skin and flesh. Number one, is there a hunger for God's word? If you're constantly having to say, uh, you got to read the word to someone, there's a problem. Because really live babies are hungry. Again, you probably don't need a nursing degree to realize if the baby's not nursing, 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 uh, that there's, there's something wrong. I'm pretty sure that Taylor can tell you, at least the most recent one that could tell you, but Catherine can tell you, and, and uh, someday some of these other couples will tell you that the baby wants to nurse every two hours at first. And P Peter says, uh, lay aside all malice and all ill will and, and pride and whatever, and then he says, and like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Now, reading the reverse negative, it gives me some comfort that Peter had to say that because that means that some of the people he was writing to needed to hear that. But in general, uh, a nursing babe does not need instructions. All my kids learn to nurse before they listen to my seven-part series on how to nurse, <laughs> you know, and why it was important and things like that. That's a pretty stupid joke, of course, but... Um, but it makes the point. So you, you really gotta, you get really gotta understand if you don't hunger to grow in God's word, you know, if, uh, and that includes going beyond scripture and reading some foundational books, especially ones that'll, that'll give you new paradigms to see the big things in the scriptures that you've been missing because you're not equipped to see them. Uh, that's what our, you know, we don't just have any kind of foundational books. We have ones that'll help you get more out of scripture. Uh, there's, a, there's a problem there. Now, the answer isn't just to go, read more scripture, read more scripture. It's to go back and rethink the gospel and say, what is it about my conversion to the gospel that doesn't leave me excited enough to know Christ, that I'm hungry for his word? See the difference? That's really important. You can't just go, this is why you need to read more scripture, this is why you need to read, I, you know, we try that, you know, part one of the Search the Scripture series is called the Bible on the importance of Bible study, and, 
you know, when I'm first working with people, I give them a little bit of that. But mostly I'm trying to take them through the gospel because Christ is the living word of God who you will find in the written word of God. That's what Jesus said in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. Well, it's the scriptures that bear witness of me, he said. So if you get in the scriptures, you're going to find him. I'm so glad that John helped us with his uh, Christ in the Old Testament series that's still on our website, even though it's back a couple years now, because you need to kind of, you got, you kind of need to get uh, 10 or 12 different uh, frameworks for how to find Christ in the Old Testament. Looking for the imagery and the word pictures and, and, all, and all that, and looking for all the people who are types of Christ as well. Looking for all the quotes. You know, there are, there are times in certain parts of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, 2 Timothy, where Paul is quoting so much Old Testament that he's almost quoting one Old Testament verse for every verse of the New Testament epistle. And if you really want to understand that New Testament epistle, go back and read all those Old Testament verses in their context. Read the chapter they're in. So the second one, we get it. Um, oh, by the way, John, I, uh, John 8, 30, 32. I could use lots of scriptures. I just have two of them there because this is meant to be a quick hit type of teaching. But Jesus says, again, listen to the law of the reverse negative. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, the Greek word abide is meno, which means to dwell in, uh, abide in, to remain, uh, I think is the King James, to... Uh, to be continually in, have a lifestyle in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So if you don't, what does that mean? Then you are falsely his disciples. Or you're not a disciple. And he goes on to say, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know what? We, uh, we ha have had two very powerful deliverances in the last couple Friday nights. And we're going to start praying for, uh, you know, casting out demons and stuff uh, every Friday night. And, uh, you know, we've kind of had, need, had a lot of people who wanted deliverance and needed deliverance. But I, frankly, Jason and John are just too overwhelmed. To, and I finally just decided to find some other people that have, can help me. And, you know, Paul's been helping me and Nathan and Edwin and different guys. So, uh, and it's gone well. But when you get delivered... You better get into the word because it's not just any, the, you know, um, this is no slight to Paul or, or, or anybody else. Paul was doing very well after just teaching him a couple things with the deliverance list. And he was getting words from the Holy Spirit and insights from the Holy Spirit and bringing things to the table. And you know what? My mom taught me how to cast out demons once or twice, and I was doing pretty well after that. That's casting out demons is the easy part, really, even though it takes the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's kind of exciting and fun to see the clash of kingdoms. And, and frankly, in a good deliverance session, you can accomplish, frankly, a lot more than about a year or two's worth of counseling if, if somebody's especially been prepared for it. But it's not just deliverance that sets you free. It's the truth that sets you free. It's when the Word of God becomes to become reality to you that it's not just in your head, 
flattering your ego, but it's totally in your life. Experiencing by the power of the Holy Spirit, where it become it begins to be your attitudes and your motivations, and your and and you, uh, the Lord by the Holy Spirit brings these things back to your remembering all the time in all kinds of situations. And we get too like weirded out spiritual about that. Some of them, the most words of wisdom that I have received from the Holy Spirit is when God had me take a sales job from 1991 to 99. Right in the middle of sales calls, the Holy Spirit would give me wisdom, what to ask the guy, how to listen, and what to say. And I frankly don't think I could have been a very good salesman without that, because I never was good at reading all the books on how to sell and stuff, and I didn't like a lot of the techniques that they had and so forth. The Lord helped me. Not that you shouldn't uh, read books on those things, but... You get that? So secondly, uh, so, you know, you've got to be in the word. So I, I got to move on. Secondly is lifestyle changes. This is crucial. If somebody is basically living the same lifestyle, um, I do understand there can occasionally be besetting sins that may take some time. But there should also be things you can say, God changed me about this right from the beginning. There were some areas of my life that I was probably 17 to 20 years in Christ before I really started to see major victory. But there were a lot of areas that there was major victory right at the beginning. Because circumcision means nothing nor uncircumcision, but what matters is a new creation. Full of quotes from Paul today. I'm reading Paul all week. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature. And it, if... if uh, no one who's born again sins. Matthew 3, 8, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. If there's crisis come into your life, there will be a birthing of hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, that may take a while to work itself completely out, but you won't just be passive about your sins. You won't just be, well, I'm an alcoholic. What the heck? <laughs> you, know? you just won't. Yeah, I've been cheating on my tithing for three or four years. Who, you know, what the heck? You will be deeply convicted about your sin. You will want to change. You will change in many areas, even if there are some areas that you still struggle with. That's important because there are times when there will be a struggle in this or that area, but there should be victory in lots of areas because of the power of Christ. If you've really received the gospel, you're no longer leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on him, and there should be changes. Thirdly, a desire for all the things of God, all God's will, all his covenant ordinances and so forth. The Philip said, or the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? Now, he'd just been to Jerusalem. He understood a lot more about water baptism than most people today. He understood that this meant I'm entering the covenant people of God. I'm making a covenant with God and his people, and I'm changing what kingdom I'm in and what people I belong to, and where I'm going eternally, and who my master is, and, and who's the Lord of this empire. You know, the Christians were all about, you know, Caesar called himself the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
And the, the Christians came out of a Jewish background where they had been delivered from the tyranny of Pharaoh and stuff, and they understood there's another. That's why they, what they are accused of in Acts 17. They said, Jason and Paul, these people have come here also, and they're t- teaching decrees contrary to Caesar. Now, these were Jewish people who were saying that, which is the most condemning thing a Jewish person could say according to the Scriptures. Like they said at Jesus' trial, we have no king but Caesar when they were wanting to crucify him. And these people hated Christ and his church so much that they were following the disciples from town to town, trying to unconvert the people they are converting, and they stirred up the Roman officials. They were willing to even say, these people are saying there's uh, things that contrary to, to Caesar. They're saying there's another king but Caesar named this Jesus. Believe me, like if God has come into your life, there's going to be a desire for all the things God has. You know, this like, I don't think I want to get baptized in the spirit or I no, I, you know, I'll pray about water baptism for 20. I'll pray about whether I should be belong to a church or tithe or, or start getting under accountability or, and you, you just don't have that if there's, if Christ has come. And again, you can't just say, okay, you need to get under authority and you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to go back and understand, have they really grasped the gospel in their heart of hearts? Have they really been convicted deeply of sin so they see that I'm hopeless? I need rescued. I don't just need therapy. I don't just need a little churching up. Hopefully you all see this. Uh, Next, a desire for biblical Christian fellowship and accountability. Now, everybody wants to belong that's why they have fraternities and sororities because it's a it's a cheap quick way to belong you know uh every no offense to anyone who was in a fraternity or sorority but people want to belong that's why more and more businesses and companies have more and more social functions and things they do among the employees to build some sort of esprit de corps or community and so forth any business that doesn't do some of that's probably not very smart in our day and age but people who want to belong to christ want to belong in reality in truth in humility in accountability they want to uh you know what i you know i was told by a a pastor who shall remain nameless years ago we were talking about this at dinner last night jason and carla and Catherine and i that we would never get today's generation to let us know when they're going to miss a meeting but you know what? About 75% of the people in our church let us know when they're going to miss a meeting. Maybe more. You know, Davian and Taylor went on a nice couples weekend to Columbus a couple weeks ago. They told me three times they were going so I wouldn't forget because they know I'm old and decrepit and I need to be reminded. And they told Jason and Carla and a couple other people. Why? Out of courtesy. And now in the days of texting, I get a text from Edwin twice a week, not going to make it to Bible study Thursday night or whatever, you know. Uh, That's just right. You know, if I was going to be late coming home and I didn't let my wife know, she might greet me with the left foot of frying pan fellowship or something. I don't know, she might hit. Maybe she'll change the locks or something. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But... uh, 
you know, fifthly, you want to witness. You know, one thing I love about Luke 24, at, when the disciples, when the two disciples on the road to Emmaus recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, it said they returned to Jerusalem at that very hour. Now, it makes it very clear that they were in Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking. Seven-mile walk takes about two hours. It was well after dark, according to the text. And if you know anything about the ancient world, all major cities like Jerusalem were surrounded by thieves on every highway, and there was a good chance you'd be killed if you tried to walk from one city to another after dark. They didn't say, well, let's wait till morning and set out. They, because they recognized Jesus, they had to tell some people right now. Now, we could, you, again, you could go preach to people, you ought to witness, you ought to witness, you ought to witness. But if you're not witnessing, go back and look at your encounter of the gospel and strengthen that experience with Christ. And look at the full gospel, including the baptism in the Spirit and water baptism as two halves of Christian baptism, because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. And when you have experienced him in power, you've got to tell somebody. You know what? All people evangelize to whatever they're into. Everyone, like that's in Facebook, people are always telling you about the restaurant they just discovered that they liked and, and uh, you know, why you should have a cat and uh, why you should get a dog to kill your cat or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, they always... All people try to proselytize to whatever you're into. And it's amazing how few Christians have ever shared their faith. I hate to say this, but when I was an unbeliever in 10th grade, I can remember spending the whole year trying to convert this nice, friendly young lady who sat behind me to smoking pot. Why? Because you evangelize into whatever you're into, good or evil. And we so often let the the evil people be more aggressive. You know, one of the big reasons that, that a lot of evil is prevailing in our culture is, frankly, a lot of the evil people believe what they're into more. And their, their agenda is more aggressive. Boy, if some church uh, said that we ought to do something like what the Mormons do, where everyone gives two years of service to evangelism and discipleship uh, after they finish college or something, we'd be called a cult or something. But I'm going to be asking every one that graduates from Rock Campus Fellowship to consider giving a year or two of service to the kingdom. All right, next, we're, is, we're out of time, so I might want to do one more week on this, because I, you know, maybe not. Um, I think I've covered go back to the gospel enough that I can skip that. I was going to add that after the EPDC. Hopefully, you know the five first steps of entering the kingdom. Recently, I was, frankly, a little discouraged because I asked certain people, actually even certain people I'd had a Bible study with for, for quite a few weeks about the first five steps, and they couldn't name them. You really need to have that memorized. 
to be an effective part of Grace Christian Fellowship, our goal is to, you should really understand the gospel so that people might receive Christ. And you should really understand that, they, that water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit are the two halves of, of the one covenant ceremonial uh, transaction of entering the kingdom of God. That deliverance and healing are part of the kingdom. Philip cast out demons to the people he was leading to Christ. So did Jesus. And uh, I, if you haven't gone through deliverance, I would really encourage you to uh, get, get prepared and do it. Uh, Davion helped uh, with the ministry Friday night. That was your first time helping. How'd you like Davion? Was it? <laughs> it's good. So uh, Davion is going to be helping me with part of the team. So, um, you know, lastly is uh, entering a New Testament community lifestyle. As we've already said, people belong. We, we want to treat people like they're members and they belong. But the truth of the matter is they'll be really belong when they go through the door of Christ. Now, that's more than just uh, the ceremony of water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that might be imperceivable to a lot of people. But the more, as people really meet Jesus and begin to love Jesus, they're going to have deeper fellowship with the people, even if they've been coming for two years. As they move into Christ, they're going to move into real fellowship. As much as we want to say, you're welcome, we love you, you belong, in a sense, they belong when they become part of the family of God. And Christ is the door to that. There's nothing we can do to circumvent that door. We can love them all they want, but they'll really belong to God when they belong to God. <laughs> and therefore, they'll belong to his family. So that's the five steps. I covered that pretty quick. I think we know enough about that. Hopefully you understand, I need, you know, everybody needs to have that memorized. And finally, the EPDC, I always just say this. Let's picture a big clock. 12 o'clock is evangelism, proclamation of the gospel, the mystery of the kingdom, whatever you want to call that, leading to receiving Christ, which I always break down into the two steps theologically of the new birth and conversion, which includes repentance and trusting. Three o'clock, I guess I should go this way because you guys are there. So three o'clock is pastoral care, shepherding, loving, soul care. Everyone is broken. That's the message of the gospel. How that brokenness manifests itself, everybody comes in with a different problem set. But if your problem set is that I was self-righteous, religious, thought I didn't need God that much and was kind of a, frank, frankly, mostly a religious hypocrite. That's just as wicked and just as needy as if you were a, you know, cocaine addict, heroin addict, drug dealer, pimp, uh, bank robber. We have this priority thing in America where we think if they were some bank robber, murderer, drug addict, that that's far more wicked than if they were self-righteous. But in God's eyes, it's not. This, Paul lists all his qualifications that he could have said that he could, could uh, qualify as self-righteous. And he said, I count them, in Philippians 3, I count them all loss. He even calls them scubalung. Uh, the King James translates that dung. You can do whatever you want after that. 
Rubbish is actually, a, I used to think that was just totally watering it down, but it's a valid translation of the word. But it's really like manure. That's what God thinks of religiousness. So if you were basically a goody two-shoes all your life, Boy Scout, never got in trouble, got all A's and so forth, but you did it to please men and to be self-righteous and to think you were a little better than other people, that's just as bad as if you were a murderer. So one of the reasons we're Grace Christian Fellowship is, you know what? You have to start with admitting your sin if you're going to grow. And that's just as wicked of a sin as any other. So everybody comes in with all kinds of problems, and everyone needs pastoral care because they're, what God is doing, he wants to rebuild your whole life, not just your prayer life and your worship life. He wants to make you the kind of student he wants you to be and, and the kind of friend he wants you to be and the kind of roommate he wants you to be and, and so forth. We get that? Then the D, 6 o'clock, is the D, discipleship, which is training, equipping. That's what I'm really attempting to do in this series is give us seven critical concepts that we all need to be equipped with. If, if I gave a test on these seven, how well would you do? I might just have the next Sunday school be a test on all seven of these. Study up. No, really, I think I might do that. We got to know these. And then the, because the, the reason is because at 9 o'clock, is, is the C stands for continuum. John is not supposed to single-handedly do all this stuff. He's supposed to equip you to do all this stuff. And when you can walk, when you can say, like Paul said, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. If you want, if you want to be a Christian, you want to have the full blessed life of God, just come, just come hang out with me. Go to church when I go to church. Have dinner at my house once a week and, you know, help me mow the lawn on Saturday. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, we'll, and we'll go fishing. And uh, in a couple of years, you'll be as mature a Christian as me. That's what Paul's constantly saying. Join in following my example. So that's the continuum part. So that's actually the series. Seven principles, concepts that we've got to have in all our outreaches. Please study this stuff, especially all of you, you know, the Edwins, the Sams, the Beths, the Pauls, the Kents, the Davions, the people that I've talked to about helping us, uh, you know, minister and have Bible studies and Emily's and so forth. Really, study these seven things. Make them part of your thinking. Amen.